0: No more to sab, go at or a No more this morning at the uh, occasion of the midday meal offering there was a gathering of uh, people came to make offerings to the sangha marking the uh, end of the year 2017 and in uh, traditional manner and i spoke at that occasion about how in this Buddha's path of practice, it's uh, the encouragement to really optimise on the opportunities we have for generating benefit. uh, Opportunities we have for benefiting ourselves, benefiting others. And if we pay the right kind of attention then we really optimise. If we don't pay the right kind of attention, well, uh, maybe some benefit, but maybe also we we miss out. And that that right kind of attention, as we would all know, is uh, that alertness or that mindfulness, that presence that is established here and now. Right, right. We're chanting just now in the the qualities of the Dhamma. We use the word sanditiko. Yeah. We're talking about the qualities of the Dhamma. Sanditiko, akaliko, ehipasiko. This, this word sanditiko, is to be seen here and now, yeah. can be realized here and now. This, and this is something that is one of the hallmarks of the Buddhist teachings. We're not talking about planning for something wonderful to happen in the future rather we're exercising uh, the discipline of attention so that we feel more accurately our sensitivity is more acutely tuned to here and now and so when there is this quality of attention the Buddha pointed out then there's more benefit And so whether it's the, the ritual, traditional offering of uh, was taking place at the meal this morning, uh, taking precepts, uh, uh, or as is the case this evening, where I imagine uh, most of us uh, here uh, to mark the uh, ending of the year 2017 and the beginning of 2018, uh, uh, just before midnight. Well, uh, the invitation is to participate in this, forgiveness and aspiration ritual that we, we do each year and that this same principle applies and is, is worth uh, worth considering, worth dwelling on this. Yeah. when we bring the right kind of attention to our activity then the benefit is enhanced and, and when we forget then there's a chance that we will miss out. Even though we might be doing good stuff, have good aspirations have good intentions, there's uh, a lot more to this path of practice than having good intentions. So, also, uh, the Buddha wanted us to recognize there's also skillfulness, which, uh, so long as we're still breathing, there's an opportunity for increasing in skillfulness and Cultivating skillful ability. Okay. One of the recorded discourses of the Buddha, it says, the past is left behind you and the future is yet to arrive. And this is pointing to this same truth, this here and now reality, to emphasize here and now. I okay. Here and now is a, the words or the concepts, but they refer to a reality. And with this teaching that the Buddha gave, the past is left behind you. The future is yet to arrive. The past is gone. Whatever's happened has happened. It's like, it's like a leaf has fallen off a tree. That leaf is not going to unfall off a tree. That leaf is never going to go back up and be the same leaf on the tree. You know, it might disintegrate and become nourishment and turn into a, another leaf eventually but uh, it's never going to go back to what it was the past is never going to be what it was ever again the past is left behind you the future is yet to arrive uh, if we have confidence in the Buddha's teachings about the power of establishing a quality of attention which is directed to the here and now reality if we have confidence in that we want to cultivate that well then it's wise to heed these words to the foot. Yeah. And the past is left behind you. Yeah. We can't change the past. Yeah. We might like to. There's uh, some things about the past that we are very, very happy about and very pleased about, and uh, the good fortune, the things that have happened in the past, but then uh, I'm sure for all of us we don't have to... Uh, think for too long before we uh, come across uh, regret and remorse and the realization that uh, we could have really uh, done better. Mm. And and so there's things in the past that we want to forgive, things in the past we want to let go of. And so that's what we can do about the past. Mm. We don't forget the past, Mm. but we realize we can't change the past. It's important to To make that very conscious, we cannot change the past. The past is left behind you, and the past is gone. Mm -hmm. And the future Mm -hmm. is yet to arrive. We can't know the future. Mm -hmm. The one thing we can know about the future is that it's uncertain. The future is uncertain, that we can know, but anything else we can't know. We can imagine the future, we can extrapolate into the future this wonderful intelligence that we have and based on what we remember from the past we can plan it for the future mm-hmm. and that's again what we're partly here for this evening we generate wholesome aspirations mm-hmm. cultivating wholesome aspirations so as to to give to give orientation to orient our being mm-hmm. In a skillful way towards the future, these wholesome aspirations. So we can't control the future, we might like to, but we can't. We can't control the past, we might like to, but we can't. That's that's worth registering. We register it because we have confidence in what the Buddha was saying about the way to optimize on this moment. Whatever this moment presents us with, the way to optimize on this, the way to generate real benefit for ourselves and for others, is to be established in this kind of here and now awareness and uh, reflecting in these ways about the past and about the future. And now, if we don't reflect, skillfully we don't have a clear perspective if we're not grounded in the here and now reality we can very easily get lost in the past and we can very easily get lost in our ideas of the future somebody was explaining to me a day or so ago about all the new year's resolutions they made in the past about every Every pause it a day, I'm going to keep the eight precepts and being really confident and and really convinced, you know I'm really sure I'm gonna do this and and be really determined and make this strong Aditana and Pali or the strong vow or the strong determination that in the in the future I'm going to do such and such and feel really sure about it, but it doesn't work out. Mm. Mm. Why does it not work out? I'm sure all of us have experiences with making wholesome determinations, wholesome aspirations, uh, feeling very sincere, but it doesn't generate the benefit that we were looking for. Maybe we can't follow it through, or maybe we just forget about it. Um, Why does that happen? Well, one of the reasons why it happens is we don't make that aditana, we don't make that determination, we don't make that vow from the perspective of being grounded here and now. Really consciously with our feet on the ground of here and now. This place, this time, here and now. Again, these are concepts here and now, but they represent a reality. Mm -hmm. We can access this reality if we use these suggestions from the Buddha to contemplate skillfully. Mm -hmm. From being skillfully grounded here and now we can have an image of a new improved me in the future, like the end of 2018, this new improved version of me will be such and such but we don't have to leave the ground of here and now, we don't have to get lost when we're not grounded properly, we get lost in the image we have an image of ourselves maybe a wonderful image, a radiant image, a beautiful image, a wise image totally appropriate image of this new variation on me in a year's time but if we project too much of our heart energy onto that image we get lost That's, we get lost in the future there's a wholesome aspiration good motivation but not skillful, not wise getting lost in the image of ourselves is unwise and It can feel okay. It can feel good to rattle up some really, really good aspirations. It feels even responsible. But if it's not balanced, if it's not wise, if we don't really see that we're over-projecting onto this image of me, the image of me is fine. It's like, you know, if you've got a wound on your forehead and you look in the mirror... And that reflection, that image of yourself, you know it's not you. You, know, you wouldn't put the cream on the mirror, right? Yeah. You know the wound is here. And so you put the cream here. Now, if you put the cream on the mirror, I mean, that would really be stupid, wouldn't it? That would, you'd need some help if you were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, in a way, you know, if we're honest about it, the, that's often what we're doing, when we're thinking about ourselves, we generate this image, and the mind may be completely at peace and calm and contented, and, and then there's this generating this image of ourselves, it wasn't there before, it's there now, it's arisen. Yeah. Do we relate to it wisely? Do we see the image as the image? Mm. Do we relate to it mm. as a, as a function of the mind that can serve a certain purpose or do we project too much of our heart energy out onto it and become uh, besotted, become some sort of a narcissist, you know, besotted with the image of ourselves. Well, regrettably, I think probably most of us would admit that we are all some sort of a narcissist and we do get besotted with our self-image and, you know, Somebody insults us and they don't really know us. They're not really insulting us. They're insulting the image we have of ourselves and we get offended. Somebody compliments us and they don't really know us. They're not really complimenting us. They're complimenting this image that they have of us and we get all puffed up and we get lost. So the consequences of getting lost in the image of ourselves, the consequences of the lack of clear seeing, the consequences of the lack of real wisdom, mean that we don't end up realizing full benefit we don't optimize on even having wholesome aspirations you know, we overvalue the image that we generate of ourselves and we get lost um, um, polishing the image of ourselves you know these kind of, these illegal well they should be illegal like Facebook should be illegal it's such a dangerous drug you know, creating this image this self-image that become addicted to polishing and burnishing. and it's, uh, Well I realise a lot of people probably use Facebook in skillful ways and when I say uh, it should be made illegal, of course this is a month talking <laughs> and they don't expect everybody to cancel their Facebook accounts. But it would be wise to um, probably unplug from time to time and uh, at least one day a month not look at it, any social media for that purpose. They're not So as to check to see how Besotted, are we, with our self-image? Can we stop looking at ourselves? Or are we endlessly polishing our self-image? If we are, well then even something as wholesome as an opportunity as we have this evening to generate wholesome aspirations for the future, we maybe are not properly equipped to optimise on it. Because mm-hmm. we get lost. We get lost in the future. We can get lost in the past, likewise, right? This evening as we approach midnight reflecting on on the past and things that have happened and think well I really like to I really like to let go of that resentment that I have for such and such a person you know I mean they they behave pretty rudely, pretty badly, pretty poorly, and I really want to just let go of that i want to I want to forgive them for that and and uh, not only forgive them but also the things that I did, I, I wasn't so good all the time myself. Uh, quite frankly, I, you know, I messed up there, and I could have done better there. And I really like to forgive myself and just begin again. But once we start contemplating it, we, you know, we can start falling into feeling guilty, feeling self-critical, and start coming, Well, there was that, and there was this thing, and there was that thing, and we can and again we can become besotted with all our faults. That leads to depression. That's what happens when we don't know how to let go of our self-image. We get lost. We can, even when we try to learn from the past, which is what this ritual is about. Forgiveness and aspiration, reflecting on the past and forgiving ourselves and forgiving others and beginning again. If we're not really well grounded in here and now, whole body, mind, judgement free awareness, if we haven't invested in this, then even though we have good intention to learn from the past, maybe we get distracted and, and we just end up dwelling on all our faults. Probably all of us at some stage in our life can remember periods where you just wake up in the morning and the mind immediately goes to thinking about all the things that are wrong with you. When there's a lot of things that are actually probably very good about you, and, but the mind becomes overly interested in finding faults and feeling guilty and feeling bad about ourselves. And you know, From the Buddha's perspective, that's not an obligation. We've all made mistakes, we've all... Responded to situations less than impeccably. The opportunity is to learn from that. We don't have to dwell on it. Dwelling on it and over projecting again as said, over projecting our heart energy onto the memories we have of the past is not an obligation. It's like it's like thinking about somebody. You know, thinking about Gandhi. You see, Gandhi, I mean, Gandhi, he was just so short. I mean, that was Gandhi's problem. You know, he was just so short. <laughs> I mean, we don't do that, do we? We don't think about Gandhi as being short. I mean, Gandhi, you know, was a great being who generated a huge amount of goodness and, and skillfulness and benefit. Yeah. But we could, if we were heedless. <laughs> we could just go into how short Gandhi was. You know, that, that, that wouldn't be productive. And you know, likewise, with ourselves, we, it's not productive in a genuinely beneficial way to dwell on our faults. So. so, to notice that we get lost if we're not really grounded here and now, with our feet firmly planted in this reality, this reality. Yeah. When we first come across Buddha's teachings and we learn about the Dhamma it generates lots of good feelings and we're so grateful and we've learnt about reality a teaching that doesn't require us to compromise our intelligence and naively believe in something that we're not allowed to question It invites questioning uh, we can never ask too many questions in this path of practice and, and so we start to study about the Dhamma and And that gives rise to a level of good feeling. But as we start to really practice the Dhamma, we realize there's another level of good feeling that arises. But if we're not careful, if we don't really cultivate here and now whole body, mind, judgment, free awareness, we don't realize that benefit. We just keep getting lost and keep getting lost in ideas. Ideas have their place. They get us started. Ideas are marvellous, wonderful. Yeah. Human beings have an extraordinary capacity for manipulating ideas. that can be the source of tremendous goodness. Yeah. The reason we have the Buddha's teachings today is because the ideas that the Buddha came up with that represented the reality that he realised, those ideas could be recorded and passed down, and so we have these teachings. Yeah. Because those teachings, the principles encoded in those teachings resonate within our own hearts, we recognise the relevance of the Buddha's teachings and that gives rise to the practice that we're all engaged in now. So ideas can be wonderful if we relate to them from the ground of the here and now reality. If we're still getting lost in our ideas, lost, lost in projecting onto ideas more than we should be, then we miss the benefit. Mm-hmm. Why do we do this? Why do we, why do we keep getting lost mm-hmm. in the future? Mm-hmm. Why do we do that? Mm-hmm. Well, on the occasion of like this, making aspirations mm-hmm. for the future, what is it about the aspirations that we get lost in? It's the pleasure. It's the pleasant feeling. The pleasant sensation that arises when we think about the new improved version of me is really nice. Me without all these unwholesome, unhelpful tendencies, that's very agreeable. If we don't, if we haven't really seen the risk, the consequences, if we haven't seen the consequences of getting lost in pleasure, then what happens? We cling to it. We cling to it and we spoil it. Even though what we're doing is beautiful, there's wholesome aspiration, and the pleasant feeling that arises with the wholesome aspiration is wonderfully appropriate, one of the wonderful possibilities human beings can do, but then we cling to it and we spoil it. And it's really important we see this. Because we can have these very wholesome inclinations but not follow them through with skillfulness, not relate to them wisely. And And so we miss the opportunity to realise the benefit. So getting high on the pleasant feeling of a wholesome aspiration, it's no different from indulging in the pleasure that arises from eating too much marzipan at Christmas. It's very easy to get off on eating marzipan. Chocolate. Eating chocolate. Too much chocolate. Too much chocolate-coated marzipan. Mm. I mean, (laughs) we all know that that's actually not clever. We all know that's not clever, to eat too much chocolate-coated marzipan at Christmas. But do we really know that it's not clever to get high on the pleasant feeling that arises in association with wholesome aspirations. It's more subtle. And we need, if we're practicing dhamma, we need to tune into this. If our practice is established in the here and now reality, then there's a better chance we will tune into this. (laughs) Even indulging in the subtle pleasures of enjoying the idea of a me that's not lost and guilt, or a me that's not lost in anxiety, or a a me that's not resentful and envious of other people, a me that's not always comparing myself to other people. What a beautiful thought, and what lovely feelings arise in association with that. But getting lost in those lovely feelings, we need to be (coughs) sufficiently subtle to see that that doesn't help. Mm -hmm. Now one of the ways that can inspire us to pay attention to that is to see the opposite which is that if there are painful feelings that arise in the mind Mm -hmm. and we can't let go of them like self-disparagement like anger, like resentment like bitterness, like guilt like fear, like worry the negative possibilities that we have available to us and if we keep clinging to them we keep clinging to them we keep clinging to them why can't I let go of this? Why? After all these years of all this meditation practice I do and I really try to keep my precepts well and, and I've done this retreat and that retreat and blah, 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 Why do I still do this? It's like sticking a dart into myself all the time. Well, we've got to realize, we've got to be subtle enough to realize that if we're still clinging to pleasant feelings, we're, we can't let go of painful feelings. It's like, it's like lifting your hand and saying, "Well, I want to just lift the back of my hand. I don't lift the front of my hand." That's not possible. You, know, you lift your hand. You lift your hand. You know, when you lift your hand, the front and the back go together. Well, so it is with feelings. If we cling to pleasant feelings, we cling to painful feelings. And if we're not willing to let go of pleasant feelings, we're not going to be able to let go of painful feelings. And so, one of the reasons why our inability to really benefit from our wholesome aspirations and our inability to really let go of the mistakes we've made in the past is just not seeing this, just not being sufficiently grounded here and now, not being sufficiently subtle in our awareness to be able to tune into the reality, the actuality. Yeah. Now this is talking about practice, this is not just talking about the theory about Dhamma. You know, if we just talk, think this is theory, we'll then... And we can argue with ourselves, well, you know, I don't want to let go of pleasant feeling because it means I won't feel happy. Uh, That's that's what people don't practice, then that's what they think. If we're practicing, well, then we experiment with them. We say, well, actually, when you let go of pleasant feeling, it doesn't stop it being pleasant. It just means that the pleasure doesn't disturb the contentment. We can still experience pleasant feeling, but without the pleasure disturbing the contentment. Mm -hmm. And if we can let go of the pleasant feeling, well then we may be fine, we can let go of the painful feelings. That's really good news. Get a feeling for another level of practice now. Now we're not just speculating about the benefit of practice, we're starting to really see it. we starting to really see it for ourselves. The other day, somebody was was asking me in a rather puzzled way why I didn't particularly want to go back and live in New Zealand. You know, I mean, what a wonderful country. Don't you just want to go back and live in New Zealand? And, and Yeah, New Zealand is a lovely place, and there's all sorts of lovely things about New Zealand. But this is lovely. I mean, this is extraordinarily lovely. I feel so fortunate to be living here in this community, this part of Britain, at this time. Yeah. I can still think of going to visit New Zealand. I don't go to visit there anymore these days. I, I find the whole experience of flying for 30-something hours to New Zealand is, is just uh, thoroughly unconvincing. It's a, you know, yeah. Yeah. No wish to travel back to New Zealand again. But I can remember New Zealand, and I, can, I was speaking recently about how I can dwell on the thought of my favourite beach in New Zealand, and my favourite beach in New Zealand is called Rangiputa, and it's just north of Kirikiri in the Northland, in the North Island of New Zealand, and and it's just so extraordinarily lovely, and and everything is beautiful about Rangiputa, and you know, if a if a seagull lands on the beach, it's a busy day. So this is you don't see people. It's just so empty and so clean. And, The water is crystal clear. There's no pollution, no light pollution, no sound pollution. It's just an extremely lovely place to be. Uh, I was reflecting on recently how I can remember Rangiputa Beach and the pleasure that arises from uh, the thought of sitting there under the beautiful Pahutakawa trees that line the coast there right now at this time of year Pahutakawa trees are in full blossom and uh, sitting under the shade there and uh, how lovely that is and the pleasant feeling that arises I was thinking about this the other day it's enough that's enough in itself that can be enough that pleasant feeling from that memory can be enough it's not necessary to add anything more to it say well how can I go there and have more of that we can relate to that memory, that pleasant feeling, in a way whereby we add to it with clinging, and then we, I want more of it. But that's not an obligation. We don't have to do that. That's not necessary. We can accept the pleasure of that memory and accept that's enough in and of itself. Our aspirations that we're going to generate this evening... Mm-hmm. how we may wish to proceed in our practice in the future, the pleasure that arises with aspiration. We can, If we're grounded here and now, we can relate to those pleasant feelings. And say, That's enough. We don't have to worry about, am I going to succeed? Am I going to fail? That's when we lose the ground of here and now. If we train ourselves to establish our awareness in the here and now reality, letting go of the pleasant feeling doesn't mean the pleasant feeling disappears in a way it even enhances it because if i think of sitting under the putakawa trees on rangiputa beach and then the next thing i say, well how can i go for another trip to new zealand i've lost it i'm just actually caught up in agitation and and desire and wanting and that's all hot and bothered and and then i start worrying about you know having to pass through the airport lounge and Speculating about thirty hours on the aeroplane and and catching a cold and and then the immigration people in New Zealand hassling me and going through my suitcases looking for drugs for goodness sake that's that's what they do when I go to New Zealand they think I'm carrying drugs I'm probably I'm the biggest waste of time they've ever come across so. mm-hmm. we don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate that, and, you know, except this is enough. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity, the possibility of arriving at a, the recognition, this is enough. This is enough. Mm. Means that the pleasant feeling doesn't have to disturb a sense of contentment. The painful feeling, maybe that also, is less likely to disturb the contentment. You know, we see for ourselves the benefit. Of letting go. And that's once we start practicing, that's where the enthusiasm comes from. That's where the the inspiration comes. I say, so, all right, okay, the initial level of inspiration and good feeling that comes from studying about Dhamma, that's great. Yeah. But that's just like having a ticket to go to the concert. Once you actually get in the concert, yeah, listen to the music, that's another level of appreciation. So, establishing our practice in the reality of here and now, this moment, using these concepts of here and now to tune into something that really enhances the the benefit we do have to be careful consistently and uh, this um, concept of of letting go yeah, we've we realize some benefit from practice and experience the well-being. But again, if we're not careful, we can then conjure up an idea of, well, that's what I've got to do in practice. I've got to keep letting go. And we get idealized letting go. We can turn the concept of letting go into an idol mm-hmm. and lose contact with here and now. A friend of the monastery was describing to me recently how they, uh, they were having a bit of a struggle during the Christmas period uh, this friend lives in one of the large affluent european cities and and uh, he had to go out to get uh, get in some basic uh, supplies and He said, milling around in the midst of these compulsive consumers who were just heedlessly eating and drinking and consuming and and pretending to have a good time over Christmas was really bugging him, irritating him, annoying him. And, and he was just a little bit disappointed that his Buddhist practice and his commitment to letting go wasn't, somehow wasn't protecting him. And so he was trying to you know, let go of irritation, let go of annoyance, and, and it wasn't working and, until he remembered another aspect of the teachings, which is letting go is what happens when we see what we're doing when we cling. The first moments of letting go happen spontaneously when we apply the the teachings and reflect on our actions. We're mindful, we're present, we're aware. And instead of doing the clinging, which creates the suffering, there's a moment of letting go, and we experience the well-being that comes with that. And then we start thinking about it, and we come with this concept of, well, I've got to keep letting go. And from that point onwards, our tricky, deluded egos try to imitate letting go. And of course it doesn't work. It's not the same thing anymore. The idea of letting go is not the same thing as letting go. So on this occasion, as he moved from idealising letting go, clinging to the idea of letting go, wherein he lost ground, he lost touch with the ground of here and now, and he prompted himself to let it be let it be he was here and now again he was alright again it, wasn't, it didn't mean to say that he suddenly liked all this drama that was going on around him and, you know, some things are just unappealing you know, so, you know, like a bad smell There's, you can't make a bad smell suddenly you smell good Or you know, mosquitoes buzzing around when you're trying to meditate and biting you it, it doesn't feel good you know can't pretend that it does feel good. But we can say it's like this. We don't have to add to it. We don't have to cling to the disliking. The disliking might arise. Some things are dislikable. Like Christmas shoppers maybe wasting an opportunity to generate well-being for themselves and others and just getting caught up in something that's just a little bit uh, unbecoming, really. But we don't have to get pulled into the disliking and end up possessed with aversion. It's not an obligation. If we idealize letting go through clinging, that's what happens. We can also idealize being here and now. We hear the teachings and Buddha's teachings about the past is left behind you, and the future is yet to arrive. And and we chant over and over again, you know, Sun Ditiko, We hear the teachings about being here and now. And if we're not really paying attention, we're not really present for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can project too much onto this concept. You know, I've got to be here and now. Mm-hmm. We make an idol out of being here and now. That way we can't learn from the past. We can't generate wholesome aspirations for the future. We're obstructed with this great big heavy idol, here and now idol that we've plonked in front of ourselves. So, So, but if we're not idolising here and now, then we can use this concept... And it conduces to increased agility, increased mm. flexibility, adaptability, presence, aliveness, discernment. Mm. If we don't idolize mm. letting go, then the concept of letting go can conduce to mm. increased mindfulness mm. in our relationship with experience. You can We can feel disliking, we can feel liking, but we don't have to be defined by these various moods. Mm. So this discipline of attention that's focused on establishing Mm. an awareness of the here and now reality, tuning into a sensitivity to this. Mm. Mm. As we approach midnight tonight, 31st of December. building up to yeah. participating in this midnight ritual and contemplating our aspirations, yeah. our wholesome aspirations. We could we could be aspiring to do this or do that, but we could also aspire to not do some of the things that we've been doing, you know, like not projecting so much... Onto our idols. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, we could, we could generate the aspiration to not disturb the contentment yeah. by running after our moods, you know, like when there's a good mood. We don't have to make anything out of it. We don't have to spoil it by saying, I want more of this. Just, this is good enough. This is enough in itself. Or the bad yeah. moods, the painful moods, like anger. Yeah. I often remember and reflect on the example of the Dalai Lama when he was being interviewed by some bolshevik interviewer I'm trying to try and prod him into showing his weakness and said, "Well, what do you feel about the?" communist Chinese and what they did to your country doesn't it make you angry Mm -hmm. Mr. Lama Mm -hmm. and the Dalai Lama I can't can't afford to get angry if I get angry I lose my intelligence and then I can't make responsible decisions Mm -hmm. we might feel dislike for something but we don't have to follow that mood we might even feel aversion for something Aversion is like it's pushing something away. If something's attacking us, push it away. Like if a a dog with rabies is about to bite us, it's all right to whack it with a stick. You don't just stand there and spread loving kindness to this dog and let it bite your leg. You you whack it. Not out of hatred, that's something else. And, And this is, again, if our... If our discipline of awareness is established here and now, there's a better chance that we have the subtlety to be able to see the difference between uh, dislike, aversion, hatred, anger, rage. When we're not subtle, we're not really we're not really tuned into the inner activity, we don't see the difference. The Buddha said we've got to get rid of all hatred. He didn't say we have to get rid of all disliking and all aversion. That's like saying we've got to get rid of our immune system. Uh, The immune system protects us from these foreign bodies that threaten to cause ill health. Well, there are some influences that uh, are unpleasant, some sensory impingements, uh, including mental perceptions of abuse that we come across, and we can't pretend we like them. But even when disliking arises... (laughs) If our sensitivity, if our awareness is grounded in the here and now, there's a better chance that we won't add to the disliking with clinging and turn it into something toxic like hatred. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the not doing is really important. So as we are contemplating our aspirations this evening, contemplating also not just the things we're going to do, but also the things we're going to not do. Not always adding to every experience. Learning how to respect and enjoy and protect and guard the contentment. Mm. A pleasant feeling arises. Let's not allow the pleasure to disturb the contentment of our hearts. That pleasant feeling is enough and of itself. We don't have to cling to it. Mm. We can be so caught up, for instance, in... Developing our meditation, developing our practice, progressing on the path. This idea of always having to be growing, it's like the kind of crazy idea that economists have of perpetual growth. How could perpetual growth ever be anything other than insane? We live on a planet with limited resources. How could perpetual growth ever work? Mm. Mm. But if we haven't inspected the way we approach life, we can easily fall for that myth. It's informed by greed, it's not informed by wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> always being productive in a material way, but also even inwardly in, the, in our spiritual practice, we can get caught up in having to always see results. That's, that's sporting the contentment, so. slowing down, feeling our feet in the ground of here and now, Mm -hmm. and perhaps not being so productive. Mm -hmm. It was uh, an unfortunate aspect of the relationship I had with my father, who was a very virtuous man, very, very principled and uh, very decent human being, and somebody to whom I'm very indebted and very grateful. But he never really sadly, never really got my life as a monk. I was a Buddhist monk, and what I was doing, he was, uh, his, uh, his father was a uh, Protestant Presbyterian minister, and, and he seemed to have a thing about the fact that I wasn't productive. You know, my life wasn't productive, and he could never really accept what I was doing. And His idea of productivity seemed connected to having a bank account, and the fact that I don't have any money somehow meant that I wasn't productive. and you know, Our ideas of productivity is something that we are wise to look at, mm-hmm. materially and also spiritually. What is really, what is really productive effort and practice? Mm-hmm. As we we're making our aspirations this evening, let's, let's reflect on sometimes what we need to do and our compulsive doing orientation Mm. is to not do Mm. to slow down Mm. Mm. it's one of the good things about the tradition we have of uh, beginning the new year with taking the five precepts one of the first things that we do after uh, the midnight bell is rung is uh, redetermine the Pancha are the five precepts. If you look at the wording of these precepts, I undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings. I undertake the training to refrain from stealing. Inhibiting the impulse to follow, to always leave the base of our hearts, to leave the ground of here and now, and go out and do something uh, inhibiting that impulse is a really important part of our training so that's something really skillful to aspire towards I've noticed sometimes these days people like to couch the precepts in a positive mode instead of saying undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings and say uh, I undertake to generate a culture of harmlessness and that's, that's understandable, that's beautiful and given that a lot of the uh, training we might have received in the past to do with morality and ethics has, has been uh, conveyed in a, a less than inspiring and impressive manner I can see why one would want to uh, approach these things from a positive perspective but let's be careful that we don't we don't miss the point with this training in not doing it's not just what we do in life that matters it's also what we don't do yeah, so it's, it's, it's a totally different skill mm-hmm. learning to learning to inhibit an impulse is a very different skill yeah. learning to say no is very different from learning to say yes yeah, as I was alluding to earlier, it's no, no problem saying yes to chocolate cup of marzipan. That's very easy to do. Yeah. But saying no, and we all know that's difficult. That's different. And so let's register that, that it's not just what we do and we aspire to cultivate, but also what we don't do. Aspiring to not project our heart energy out in a... Reactive way mm. to not spoil the possibility of the heart of contentment, to not disturb the contentment. Mm. Mm. Now, if we get this point and mm. appreciate what the Buddha was saying about cultivating awareness that's grounded in the here and now, and mm. mm. start to see the value how precious contentment is. And maybe, actually, maybe all these things that we're looking for, like increased understanding, increased clarity, increased kindness, increased patience, all these wonderful qualities that we would like to realize, maybe we discover that they're all already there in the heart of contentment. And and what's called for is perhaps uh, not doing so much. And appreciating that this, this is enough. And yeah. thank you very much this evening for your attention.